inspiration. You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. Welcome everyone. I'm Julie Goodnight and thank you for listening. You know, if you enjoy this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. You can find me on Google Play, iTunes, or your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, you know, you can really help me out and help other horse lovers find this podcast by giving me a five-star review. I really appreciate all the reviews we've gotten, and I read every single one of the comments, so thank you so much. Recently, I've returned from two weeks in Ireland. I was there on a working vacation with my husband, Rich, and we also went with eight of our friends. We had a fabulous time riding horses and touring the Irish countryside. It is such a beautiful country, and the people there were just so friendly and open and funny. Uh, it was just it was just two fabulous weeks, and uh, we'll, we'll have lifetime memories from that. And since I've been home, I've been trying to spend more time working with my new young horse, Pepperoni. He's a two-year-old quarter horse that I bought at the Legends of Ranching sale about five months ago. And right now with Pepper, we're just kind of taking it slow and easy with him. I'm slowly introducing him to the bit. He's, he's used to the saddle and being ridden and all that. So we're going to step back a little bit and, and get him used to the bit in his mouth and how to give softly to the bit when he feels both lateral and vertical pressure. Um, so interestingly enough, this brings me to this month's topic, which is bits and bidding for young and green horses. And I've got a special treat for you this month. The other day I was up in the office, which is normally a place I try to avoid, but nonetheless, I was there and a call came through and Diana just insisted I take the call and I was really happy I did because it was from a young lady named Morgan who was calling to interview me for her school project. Um, her, it was called a passion project and she had chosen for her passion project to research bits and specifically what progression of bits you might use for a green horse. So we had a lovely conversation and it was very timely for me since I'm currently at that stage with Pepper, and I was so impressed with this articulate young lady that I invited her to be my guest on the podcast this month. So in just a minute, we'll get started on that. Before we get started on the main topic, bits and bidding, it's time for Stride by Stride with Desiree from Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. Welcome, everyone. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thanks for listening to my podcast. I'd like to thank Smooth Stride Riding Jeans for sponsoring this podcast and for keeping it free for our listeners. Be sure to check out my favorite riding jeans at smoothstride.com. And now it's time for Smooth Stride with Desiree. Hey, Desiree, how's it going? Hey, Julie, it's nice to be talking with you again. Sure is. Hey, I'm eager to hear about your new horse and how he's working out. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, when uh, you have a little bit of a rough spot with horses that quite don't work out for you and you are wishing for the one that can keep, kind of keep up with you, well, I think I found one. I'm so excited. 
I'm so excited. You He's found a horse really that well. can keep up with you? Keep up with me. Yeah, I was, I, you know, I'm 58 years old, and I was needing a horse to keep up with me, and I finally found one after uh, a few years, I can tell you. And uh, his training is coming along great. He likes my way. He likes my style. Oh, nice. He's a great little mover. I know. He's a great little mover. Huh. So is he uh, a forward horse? He's uh he is forward. You know, he had th three years uh, with a teenager, and he got a little nappy with her because she wasn't riding him right. So I'm going through some, a little bit of, uh, what did you call it in your last uh, podcast? The word was perfect. Um, <laughs> uh, well, the term that you used was just perfect. Uh, Re, uh, what was it called? Oh, anyway, I'm laying over, fresh, yeah, laying over fresh new habits and giving him the proper muscle foundation in order to be able to do what mm -hmm. it is that I want him to do um, very slowly and methodically. And uh, so he gets a little sticky sometimes uh, when I ask him to go, you know, I, Lord Stark, you know, I'd put my leg on and he'd say, sure, Mama, I'll go. This guy, he'll, he'll kind of ask me, really? And so I'm needing to be very uh, creatively fair but strong at the same time. And it's, an, it's uh, right down my alley because I know exactly what to do and it's working. Good. And, uh, Good. Yeah, and I'm, we're having a lot of fun. We really are. He's uh, just a dream. To, to ride. Nice. Um, it feels like a little pork. Nice. And, um, nice. Yeah. So what's new at Smooth Stride Riding Jeans? Well, very happy that you asked. We've got uh, our beautiful real riding jean planes, which are the jeans with no micro suede, and we have our beautiful full seats, and I'm very, very happy to announce our, you know, I've lost the number now of the production runs that we've done. I think maybe this is the fifth, but we our next production run, I like to say that the jeans are basically in the oven. Um, samples will be ready next week, and I drive up to L.A. where we have a beautiful uh a really nice sewing contractor who, uh, boy, these, these people, they, they can spit out, they're so pro, they can spit out a thousand jeans a day for some jean companies. And wow. we're really honored that they, uh, yeah, yeah, we're really honored that they took us on. They believe in Smooth Stride. They can do smaller runs. And because uh, our jean is pretty, it's a pretty athletic jean for, for, for sewing contractors to make with the cell phone pocket and the contoured waistband. and, and It's all very specialized. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, I notice so, you'll probably get a kick out of this because if there's anyone that wears those jeans more than you, it's me. Don't you think? <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> the um, so so therefore I wash them a lot, and it's sort of a it's a deal breaker for me if I can't wash the pants a lot because I I tend to get pretty dirty, and I, I you know I try not to overwash them, but um, you know I ride in them. Two, you know, depends on how dirty I'm getting, but I can do two or three days, maybe a week, and then um, to run through the washing machine. So I wash them a lot, and I love that because it doesn't really affect anything. But when you fold them, you see how highly specialized and tailored they are to riding because you can, when you go to fold those jeans up and you get them out of the dryer, you can see how athletically cut they are. Yeah. 
Yeah, the uh, the pattern maker there, she has a big job of making sure that all the nuances of the length of the cell phone pocket and the contoured waistband and the uh, placement of the micro suede on the full seats, you know, a lot, there are a lot of breaches out there who do this just day in, day out. But jean, blue jean, just normal blue jean manufacturers, they, they, you know, their jeans are, you know, they might have some bling on the pocket, um, on the back, but, uh, yeah, so let's try well, to athletic, and I, we're really yeah. happy with the sewing concept that we have. The the blue jeans, even the bigger fashion companies that made them for riding, really have turned into more fashion jeans. And, you know, for instance, mm-hmm. you know, the low-cut stuff, well, that, that doesn't always work when you're a rider. You need a more athletic. really lucky that we had these incredible sewing contractors so close that I can keep my thumb on the quality control. I can run uh, zippers. I can run, uh, what do they, what does Eric call them? Oh, I can't remember. Uh all the the buttons and the the little little stuff that goes in, all the rivets and all that, and all I have to do is just get in the car, put on my audio book. But yeah, they're made right in the USA. The denim is even sourced in the USA. All the zippers, buttons, uh, rivets. So we're very proud of that fact as well. Good morning. Is this Morgan? Yeah. Hi, it's Julie. Hi. Sorry to have to call you so early. I know that's a bummer. It's okay. Good. So I was intrigued with your call the other day. You asked such clear and articulate questions. And um, so I thought it it was great subject for the podcast. And um, I wanted to hear more about your cult. So are you training a cult? Um, not really. I'm doing a passion project uh-huh. for my seventh or for my seventh grade class, and it's on kind of creating a training bit that's both the higher level. Um, what are the first shank and then the first snaffle you put it in? Uh huh. Uh huh. So what what that progression is like? Yeah. Uh huh. And what got you interested in that? Um. So I worked with. I'm kind of working with a cult, but he was a te- he's a ten year old. But uh-huh. when they got him, he had to have knee surgery and uh, all that. So he wasn't really started till he was like eight or nine. Mm hmm. So it. And he, I was kind of working with him, and then I've worked with my horse I have now, and she really needed like help with getting up to the next level of the bit, and I didn't know really what bit to use at first. Uh-huh. So I did a lot of research, and I thought this could help other people, like when they're starting their horse, have their bit. Well, you know, that is a really lofty undertaking to research that because there's, um, well, there's so much information out there on bits and most of it's wrong. (laughs) People have a lot of wrong ideas about bits and those wrong ideas have been around for hundreds in some case thousands of years so it's really hard to 
um, you know, undo them. So uh, um, it sounded like from the questions you asked me that you you had done a lot of research. You must have researched maybe some of the Myler's brothers um, concepts, did you? Yeah. So my mentor, who's Allison Parrish, uh -huh. he like kind of worked on it with me. Uh -huh. And we kind of, we were using like, we've gone to Road to the Horse and all that. Nice. So we kind of were using those ideas. Uh -huh. And then through using those, like Chris Cox and all that, we found like Myler and all that. Uh-huh. Wow, so <clears throat> you've done a lot of uh, a lot of homework. Well, um, so this this nine year old uh, horse, uh, however old you say he was, he's he's a he's a mature horse, but he's uneducated. It sounds like, yeah. And so, are you ride you're riding him, and and when you say trying to get these horses to the next level, um, what do you mean by that? Exactly what are we talking about in the horse? Well, right now he is uh, through his hackamore stage, so he can walk, trot, lope, and turn both directions and stop in his hackamore. So then my research was like bringing him up so that you can teach him like what the bit feels like and mm -hmm. all of that. Yeah, and by bringing him up, really what we mean is to be able to lift the shoulders of the horse. So with the hackmore, you've gotten a lot of basic control and obedience from this horse. And now what you're ready to do is, is ask him for more athletically demanding maneuvers, <clears throat> excuse me, like collection or um, you know, rollbacks or a uh, sliding stop, even lead changes, um, turnarounds. These things require that you can also control the shoulders of the horse. And the hackamore and the snaffle don't give you much lifting ability. And um, unless, you know, of course, with the hackamore, we're talking about a simple hackamore, right? A and not a mechanical hackamore <clears throat> and so just for people that might be listening let's just right there explain the difference so um the hackamore is is a classification of bridles that um involves a nose band but nothing in the horse's mouth and like bits um they come in a direct pressure and leverage, which in bits we commonly refer to as snaffles and curbs. Uh, in the hackamore, it would be uh, the true hackamore, the simple hackamore, or the mechanical hackamore. Um, the mechanical hackamore has shanks on it, um, um, they, and they can be quite brutal. They can be what we call a humane mechanical hackamore. Uh, which is short shanked and highly padded, um, or they can be highly inhumane, um, which would be a long shank and um, you know something very harsh on the nose and chin, uh, such as bicycle chain. Um, anyway, <laughs> no comment on that. Um, and so then the simple hackamores, the training hackamores that we use for young horses, that we want to the the idea being we're going to ride them. 
Um, you know, first and foremost, a young horse needs to learn how to move forward with a rider on their back and move forward um, and have basic obedience, which is that you go the speed I tell you to go until I tell you to stop and you turn in whatever direction I ask you to go. You go straight if I'm not asking you to turn. So that's basic obedience. And you don't really need a bit in a horse's mouth for that. As we move up the scale towards bits, it's because we're, we're having increasing demands on that horse's performance. <clears throat> so the simple hackamore would be anything from a rope halter, which is what I'm riding my colt in, um, I'm riding him in both a bit and a rope halter right now, but my reins are only attached to the rope halter. And that would be probably the simplest um, kind of hackamore to use. And then, um, you know, moving on up to a side pull, um, a bosal, um, and many, many other, other types of hackamores that we would use on a young horse. Um, so anyway, so that brings us up to where we are with you now, Morgan. So you've got this um, green horse. Let's not call him a young horse anymore. Let's call him a green horse. And um, he's. it sounds like he's solidly broke, to use old school language. And, yeah. <clears throat> and you know, that's really a term of endearment for a horse because it means he's, you know, he's really solidly obedient and willing to do whatever you ask him to do. Um, so the first thing we talked about was then moving him from the hackamore to the snaffle. And the snaffle is a direct pressure bit. So that just simply means the reins are attached directly opposite the mouthpiece. Um, it's a pound for pound pull. So the exact amount of pressure in your hands is the amount of pressure on the horse's mouth. And um, one really common misconception about the snaffle is that it's a jointed mouthpiece. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. Um, it could be a solid mouthpiece. As long as the reins are attached directly opposite the mouthpiece, um, and typically we see some kind of D-ring, O-ring, egg butt, uh, where the reins are attached to the mouthpiece, the, what we call the side piece of the bit. Um, so even if it had a solid mouthpiece, it would it would still be a snaffle. And so, because, Hello? yeah, can you hear me? Yes, now I can. Okay. So, um, so just talking about the fact that a snaffle bit does not have to be jointed in the mouth. Were you aware of that? Yes. Okay, good. Um, so what we talked about was I like to start colts in the 04 mouthpiece because it has a little bit of tongue relief. It is, um, although... It has some collapsibility and jointed in it. It's got a, it's a double jointed mouthpiece. Um, it won't completely collapse onto the jaws of the horse. So um, it's comfortable in the mouth. It's got enough tongue pressure where I can exert control over that horse if I need to. He's a young green horse. He might, uh, or in your case, not young. Um, 
But, you know, there's going to be times when you encounter new experiences and the horse is is prone to buck. And there are going to be, or no, I shouldn't say buck, I meant to say spook. Um, there's going to be times in, in the training of that green horse where you're encountering new experiences, going to new places, the horse gets excited, the horse spooks, anything like that are times when you might have to exert more control over that horse. And that's really why, uh, that's the main reason we like having the bit in their mouth. As they move up in training, the bit is in, serves more the purpose of allowing us to do things like lift the shoulders and motivate the horse to exert himself in maneuvers that are can be quite difficult for the horse to maneuvers that are difficult for him to complete especially with a rider on his back does that make sense yes any questions about what i've talked about so far um i don't think so no okay um so I like the 04 mouthpiece for, uh, it's, it's the very first bit I put in a horse's mouth, a young horse that's never been bitted. And for me, I like doing what you're doing. I like to start that young horse, um, r start riding him um, with, with no bit in his mouth and get him to the basic obedient level, uh, broke at the walk trot canter, um, without anything in his mouth, or before I start using the bit, I should say. But all during that time, I'm putting the bit in his mouth and letting him get used to carrying it around. So all, not all, every minute of the groundwork, because, you know, for my, my colt's just a two-year-old and he's uh, got a big motor. So <laughs> we, uh, you know, lunge a little bit or work in the round pen a little bit, free lunge him in the arena first, and then I'll put the head stall and bit on him without any reins, and I will um, lunge him or work him in the round pen or whatever I'm doing with him to get a little steam off him. I'll do it with him having the head stall on, and then um, eventually... Um, he's ready to actually start getting pressure on that bit. I'm still working him and riding him every day, but I've never, I haven't really put pressure on the bit. So he might just pack that bit around um, while I'm doing all the other stuff with him, including riding him in the rope halter. Um, and I've never put pressure on it, maybe for a couple of weeks. Depends, you know, my colt's really young, so I've got all the time in the world. Um, so, Right now, he's at that stage where he's been packing that bit around for quite a while with no pressure on him. So I started putting him in my bidding system, which begins to put pressure on the horse's mouth. Um, but it is a self-correcting device, meaning that the instant the horse gives the correct response, he gets a release of pressure. And so it's it's really trains the horse fast because the horse has control over the release of pressure. So any questions so far about what I've been talking about? Um, so with, when you're putting him 
with the like starting them with the bit and riding them with the rope halter how did you just do that right or right away or how much? No, no, nothing's ever. Yeah, nothing's ever right away. And, you know, the one thing I would say about Road to the Horse is it's an incredible event and uh, super fun and, and enlightening to go to. But in reality, nobody trains colts that way. You never look at the clock and only, oh, we're only going to have three and a half hours to train this horse to do X, Y, Z. We don't train horses that way, right? Yeah. You know that, right? Yeah. Okay, so um, if I've trained, let's say I've trained 100 colts, and um, each one of them would be so different in that time frame, potentially. Um, Sure, if I'm in a hurry and I'm really good at what I do, I expect to be riding that colt at the end of the first week but if time is not of the essence and i'm really working on that individual to maximize that horse as an individual given his age his his capabilities his athleticism the way his mind works how quickly he learns how much fear he has in him how reactive and and responsive he is um is his temperament willing and giving and submissive or is it, you know, obstinate and dominant and, you know, whatever. There's so many factors on that individual. And when we talk about training horses, you know, I, I, I'm speaking from my experience of working with thousands of horses in, in my considerable lifetime. And, um, you know, so there, so, that gets diluted into um, huge generalization. This is the way we train horses. I do this first, then I do that, then I do this, then I do that, and that's going to take, you know, 3.4 days, and then on the seventh day I'm going to do this. You know, it, it, it doesn't – we could winnow it down to that, but each individual cult is going to be – um, to me, if I have all, if I have the luxury of time, um, each horse will spend a different amount of time in every one of those stages. When he when he has it, he has it. And when there are no signs of resistance, when the horse is doing what you've asked, accepting the stimulus, or um, giving the correct response immediately, you move on to the next thing. And so that uh, I would say what what would be typical in general in the time frame and the progression of the way I do things is I've got that fresh untrained horse that comes to me on the first day. Um, He's probably a little bit halter broke, but nothing like I expect of a horse. So my first training sessions are going to be all groundwork, just teaching the horse my ground mounters that I expect, the ground manners that I expect of him. Um, We're going to be working in the round pen and on the lead line to make sure that horse understands uh, this is a whole new world. This is their, you know, my barn, my rules, and this is the way we do it around here. And, you know, has that colt had his legs handled? Will he pick up his feet and let me clean his feet out? Is he going to let a farrier work on him? Um, There's so many dozens and dozens of things, skills that horse has to have before I could care less about putting a saddle on him. Um, In my mind, who wants to ride a horse 
that is that you're not in control of on the ground. If you can't control him on the ground, you're not going to control him from his back, right? Yeah. So let's say I got him perfect on that groundwork, and that that might have happened the very first day, the very first hour, because it's a cult that's been well handled. Um, but if it's a cult that's been screwed up, been raised by an amateur that let him walk all over him, pull the rope, and you know act uh, in act poor, learn to act poorly, um, I might be a week just doing groundwork with that horse. So let's say we got him where we want him on the ground. Yeah. He, he's working in the round pen nice. Soon as he's working, as soon as he, I've got a basic kennel on him on the ground and, and in the round pen, I'm going to start saddling him. Um, so to me, that's the next thing. I've got to get him accustomed to being saddled. I've got to get him accustomed to the feel of the cinch tightening. I've got to get him accustomed to the feel of a rigid tree on his back when he moves in different ways. Um, and that, again, could take one, two, three, three sessions or days with that horse. Uh, or it could take a lot more, depending on how sensitive he is. And see, did he react to the cinch? Did he, uh, you know, buck a little bit or not when first time he felt that tree go tight on his back? Um, once he's in some cults, you saddle him. It's like they've been already been saddled a thousand times. So check that off the list and move on to the next thing. Um, so whatever time it took, it took. In general, I when we were, you know, training a lot of cults here, um, we would almost always have them saddled and be working on mounting or maybe sitting on him by the end of the week. But we, I, I do a lot of things kind of simultaneously. So as soon as I can get that horse um, desensitized to being saddled and the feel of the saddle on his back, now I'm saddling them as soon as I get him out of the stall. Um, and... You know, so he's packing that saddle around a lot. Um, in very short order, I'm starting to get him used to mounting and sitting on him. That might have take, taken, with one colt, it might have taken, you know, 10 approaches to have him pretty solid in mounting. And with another colt, it might have taken 50 or 60. And so if it was a colt that took 50 or 60 approaches before he was standing quietly for me to mount and sit on him and sh jiggle around, put both feet in the stirrups and stand up, that kind of stuff. If that took like 50 to 100 approaches, that colt I'm probably going to say, okay, let's just stay at this stage for a few days or a week. Let's really get that horse so comfortable with just me getting on him and off him, on him and off him, on him and off him. Um, that he's like a broke horse up to that point. And then I'm going to start getting, getting him used to packing weight, the weight of the rider. Now, for me, at that point, I would always put my assistant up on him so I could work the horse from the ground because I had done all the groundwork with the horse up until that point. Um, but I break, I isolate that colt just getting used to packing the weight of the rider before I um, um, ask him to take commands or cues from the rider. Um, then at some point, you know, so basically what's happening is two people are working that colt now 
the person on the ground is actually controlling the colt. The person on the horse's back is just sitting there real balanced um, on the horse so that that horse is getting used to the feel of live weight on his back. And pretty soon, uh, for me, for as soon as I get on a colt, the very first thing I do is spit and sneeze because uh, uh, those are two things I need that horse to get used to right away. Um, but so we, you know, as soon as he's used to just packing live weight, then the rider starts moving their arms all around, reaching all around, reaching forward, reaching back, moving their legs, you know, really desensitizing that horse to, you know, it's quite possible the rider could move in all or any of these ways while they're riding you. So let's get used to that. And again, that might have taken one session or it might have taken a week. If it's a purebred Arab that's on the flighty side, that probably took a week. If it's a really quiet, mature quarter horse, uh, stock horse, ranch horse type horse, it probably took a day. So um, as soon as possible, that horse is pretty quiet and compliant. I'm saddling him. As soon as I'm saddling him every day, I want to start putting the head stall on him every day. I want him to pack that bit around and get used to it in his mouth for the longest possible time before I um, before I start actually putting pressure on it. And I, I just want to make a little caveat right there because I would never, ever, ever put a, ho- a bit in the horse's mouth younger than a two-year-old and I would hesitate to do it in a two-year-old the kind of riding you're going to do in a two-year-old a hackamore is all the bit you need you don't need to put metal in that young delicate horse's mouth um you know we want to get him good and solid and broken experience without that bit in his mouth so that before we uh introduce that to his mouth um he's more mature and and we're not going to have to be jerking on it and um, damaging those tissues. So, um, but I want him to pack that bit around and get used to it and get comfortable with it, make sure it's the right mouthpiece for him. Do you know what the signs are we'd be looking for on whether or not that horse likes that mouthpiece? Um, not really. Okay, well, there's, you know, there's certain signs of resistance that, that we look for, and they're blatantly obvious once you, once you start seeing them. It, would you have a chance, Morgan, to go to a horse show or any place where they're riding a lot of horses, even a big boarding barn where there might be, you know, half dozen or more horses in the arena being ridden? Yeah. Well, next time you do, I want you to just think about this would be so great for your research I want you to think about just maybe taking a pad and a paper and a pencil and sitting where you got you know right up close to the rail somewhere maybe in one corner of the arena where you got a pretty good view and just watch the horses going by just watch their mouths um, and then also their um, their behavior and their their posture because there are certain signs of bit resistance, and actually, um, we we have them online. Um, I'll uh, I'll make sure you get a link to, to see that if you if you go to myler uh, juliegoodnight.com slash bits b i t s. Um, we'll put them up there. But so 
there's some really obvious things like gaping the mouth open, right? You've seen that? Yeah. Um, there's some really obvious signs like the tongue sticking outside the mouth. That doesn't always have to be caused by the bit, but it often is. Um, throwing the head, rooting the reins, hollowing out in the neck, which means that the neck is inverted um, instead of being rounded and arched on the top. It's inverted on the top. The horse is hollowed out. And, and when the horse is hollowed out, just like right now, if you tilted your head back and your chin up, you would be hollowing out your neck in the same way. And... Um, you know, that's the opposite of what we want and uh, very uncomfortable and tense on the neck. But that's a horse generally often trying to evade some sort of uh, discomfort either from the bed or the saddle or the rider or, or all of the above. Um, or he doesn't know how to respond properly to pressure on the bit. But anyway, the 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 most important sign of bit resistance that I try to teach people to watch for, and this is the one I'd like for you to watch a lot of horses and see if you can start spotting it. Once you develop an eye for this, you'll see it everywhere you go. You won't believe the number of horses you'll see this in. But it, instead of those really obvious blatant things like throwing the head, rooting the reins, opening the mouth, hollowing out, stargazing, um, the horse is doing pretty much everything the rider asks. He might even be in a relatively decent looking frame, meaning he's kind of rounded up and collected up a little bit, but his mouth will be slightly open. And by slightly, I mean half an inch or less. But when you look at that open mouth, you will see teeth, but no tongue. And that's the critical thing you're looking for. When you're standing opposite that horse in the arena and, and he's going by you uh, and you can see daylight through his teeth, that means his tongue is sucked up in his throat. And what that generally is, is a well-trained, compliant, and willing horse that's doing everything you asked of him, but there's so much pressure on his tongue that he has to suck it up in his throat in order to get the pressure off of it. So that's this really subtle resist, bit resistant resistance that if you go observe a bunch of horses, you'll see it a lot. And um, that's the kind of thing I'm looking for uh, as this colt is packing that bit around. Um, I want him, however long it takes him to pack it to make sure he's comfortable with that mouthpiece and to make sure he's used to that mouthpiece. Okay. Now I know you. We're we've been a half hour on the phone. Um, do you need to? Are you still okay for a few more minutes, or do you need to go? Yeah, I'm fine. Okay. Um, could we could we do like ten more minutes? Sure. Okay. Um, what about that chunk of stuff? Do you have any questions about that? So with the last thing you talked about with his mouth will be half open or an inch open and his tongue will be sucked up into his throat to mm -hmm. the rider tell? No, that's the, yeah, good question. Um, no, the rider can't. And that's what's so, um, to me, frustrating because I know that it's always riders that would want to know. 
Um, the rider can't see the horse's mouth. When the horse is when the horse is working correctly and in the frame, and the rider's in a correct position, uh, you really can't see the horse's mouth. You could tell. You might be able to tell if the horse was gaping his mouth open, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about less than an inch open. And um, so it takes a knowledgeable eye from the ground watching that horse from the side to see it. And so when I do clinics, that's the view I have. And so for me, that's what I do for a living. So I've, I've watched who knows how many thousands of horses from the center of the ring, uh, much like a horse show judge would have. And um, so once you develop an eye for seeing this, you won't believe how often you see it. Okay. Any other questions about that stuff? Um, okay, well, just no. let me know if you have one. But oh, So just to take it on, and we're going to, hopefully get up to where you are with this green horse you're working with. Um, but I'm talking about also uh, training young horses or colts, starting horses and, and the bidding process. So I'm, I'm kind of bidding him simultaneous to him getting used to mounting, being mounted, carrying the rider, uh, the rider moving all around, doing crazy stuff. A lot of just forward, 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 moving with the weight of the rider and learning to balance the rider and learning to um, stop and turn and that kind of stuff. And so when he's real solid in all that, well, it, it, early on, way before I start introducing mounting and a rider, if he's really solid and comfortable carrying that bit around, I'll start introducing, and here's how I want you to respond when there's pressure on the bit. And, and by the way, there's a lot of ways to do this. This is just the way I do it because it's just what I do and it's what's worked well for me. Um, in other words, one person might... You know, I, I like to I like to fully bit the horse before I start riding him because I like to take so much time doing it, and because I like to, um, you know, just not have it be a big surprise for him when I start riding it, uh, riding him. But um, so anyway. As soon as he's ready, I'm going to put him in the bidding rig. And that teaches the horse to give vertically to, to bit pressure. So there's there's two things we need him to learn in order to respond properly to the bit. One is lateral flexion and one is vertical flexion. And the common wisdom of thousands of years is that lateral flexion leads to vertical flexion. Do you know what lateral flexion is, Morgan? Um, is it when, like, the, is it kind of like collection, or? That would be vertical. That would be vertical flexion. So lateral means side, and lateral flexion, I'm sure you've seen a lot of the guys do it, uh, especially at Road to the Horse, but where they, uh, you know, take up on the rein or lead rope on one side and ask the horse to bend his nose around towards their knee, and then they release it, and they ask him to bend the other way. That's lateral flexion. It's it's breaking at the pole laterally. Um, lateral just means side. So every time you hear lateral with horsemanship, it it, it refers to one side of the horse. And um, so 
that's what lateral flexion is. Vertical flexion is the lengthening and rounding of the top line of the horse from front to back. And so that's what we think of in collection when the horse brings his nose towards his chest and he lengthens the top side of his neck and he lengthens through his withers and, and shoulders and spine uh, and, he, and he tucks his abdomen, abdominal muscles up and rounds his back. It's the exact same way you would do it. <laughs> um, and so that's vertical flexion. And it refers to the plane of the horse's face coming into vertical. Do you know what I mean by that? If you stand in the middle of the ring or on the side of the ring and watch a bunch of show horses, um, when the plane of their face comes to vertical, they're, that's commonly referred to as a vertical frame. Um, and that's what everybody wants. Um, and then we, if that, if that horse's nose starts coming in too far and it comes behind the vertical, that horse is said to be behind the bit. Are you familiar with that? Yes. What do you think about that? Uh, so, like, when they go behind the bit, it can that does that mess up like their whole like the whole vertical flexion if they go behind the bit? It sure does. It it's undesirable. It's very, in my opinion, um, you know, it's it's very hard on the horse physically and mentally because it's very uncomfortable, but it's an evasionary position. So he's going behind the bit in his effort to get away from bit pressure. So it's an evasionary tactic that is also harmful to the horse mentally and physically. So we don't, even though we see a lot of people do it, riding, uh, asking that horse to come behind the vertical, it's, it's really not the right thing to do, in my opinion. Um, so that horse, so and, and I know we're going to have to wrap it up here, but this will be a good place to stop, and maybe we can pick this up next month. Um, but it, it, so that horse could be on the vertical of the bit, behind the vertical of the bit, above the bit or in front of the vertical. Um, all of these things, you know, refer to the frame of the horse and, and his acceptance of the bit. So when I put him in the bidding system, my bidding system, it is to teach him vertical flexion and to teach him also the really important um, concept that when he feels bit pressure, if he gives to the pressure, that the pressure will go away. And um, so I work that colt in that bidding system. Every, every day I work him for a week or two weeks or three weeks or a month, depending on the needs of that horse, whether he's going to be a show horse um, or whether he needs extra help um, athletically, let's say. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, so next time, um, so we talked about your your green horse is ready to move up to that snaffle bit. Um, he needs to learn to uh, get comfortable with the bit in his mouth first. Um, then, so I would ride him like in your rope halter or whatever with the bit on. Once his mouth is quiet, um, he's not mouthing, chewing, chomping the bit, then I would start um, introducing 
vertical flexion using my bidding system, and you can read about that on my website. Um, and and at the same time, we would, we would be I would be teaching him lateral flexion, meaning um, okay, now I'm going to pull on just one rein, and I would shorten the right left rein, and as soon as the horse gave to it, I'd release the pressure and pet him, and I'd repeat that until every time I pick up the rein, he would softly bring his nose towards me. By the way, as soon as they learn how to do that, you don't have to keep doing it. And that's where a lot of people go wrong with lateral flexion. They they keep repeating it long after the horse has learned to give. And then the horse, it becomes sort of uh, meaningless at that point. Um, so maybe, if it's okay with you, next month we could do part two of this podcast. And do you think by then you'll be able to start uh, working this green horse in a snaffle? Yes. Okay. Um, and then maybe we can get together with you, and if you need some help on the lateral flexion and the vertical flexion, I'm I'm sure your mentor will will be able to help you with that. If you if if you need if you have any questions, just let me know. And um, and then next month we can talk about how we're going to move on from there that snaffle bit up to a curb bit that gives you the ability to lift the shoulders and work on more advanced maneuvers. Okay. Sound good? Yes. Thank you so much for calling me back. Well, thanks for helping me out with the podcast and have fun at your field trip today. And we'll be in touch with you. And maybe next month we can set up something that doesn't involve 630 in the morning. Okay. All right. Thanks, Morgan. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Morgan, for a fun and interesting conversation on bits and training horses. I could talk all day about that. So I look forward to talking to you again next month and getting deeper into the subject and hearing about the progress you've made with your green horse since then. And good luck with your passion project. Um, You know, in fact, the conversation with Morgan was so good that we don't have time this month for what the hey Q&A, but we will get back to that next month. So if you have questions for me, for our What the Hay segment, or if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast and talking about your horse, you can submit your questions by going on Facebook or going to juliegoodnight.com slash podcast. Thank you to Smooth Stride Riding Jeans for sponsoring this podcast. They make it possible for you to listen for free. Be sure to visit juliegoodnight.com slash academy for more in-depth training advice. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate your good review on iTunes so more horse lovers just like you can find my podcast. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to enjoy the ride.